Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I just wanted to uh, begin this morning, just let you know, you know, last night we had the, uh, the volleyball tournament, as, as Paul mentioned, and it was a, a tournament. Dodgeball. Dodgeball. <laughs> what? Volleyball. What, Duncan? Come on. <laughs> the dodgeball tournament, which, which was put on by a bunch of people, you know, a handful from, from this church uh, and some outside trying to help the Mansers with, with costs and with, with Annika, with her cancer and all that. Uh, but last night when I went into that gym and there were over 600 people there, uh, I was just overwhelmed looking around at how many of you were there either serving or supporting. I mean, it just smooth, it went so smoothly. It went so well. Uh, I was just blown away. Uh, and I was just proud, uh, humbled really is a better word. I was humbled to be part of a group of people so willing to get involved because it cost. It was, it cost time. It cost a lot of time for some. And then that last night when it got started, there was kind of some holes and people from this church went, oh, I can fill that I, and just stepped in. And so it was awesome. Um, so thank you. And that just, for me, it's just an affirmation. We are doing what God is wanting us to do. We're going in his direction, uh, for his glory. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for humbling yourself to put on flesh, to live the life we couldn't live, and then die the death we deserved so that we could live the life we don't deserve. We thank you. Uh, this morning, as we get into your word, I pray that you would be glorified, that we would come closer to you as we've been praying, that we would really experience you. We wouldn't experience a good church service, but we would experience you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I say the church, what comes to mind? When I say the church, a building, a steeple, a bell. When I say when I, when I ask you to think of the mission of the church, what do you think of? What is the mission of the church? Or what about your mission as a Christian, as a Jesus follower? I'm speaking to those who have confessed Jesus as Lord. You believe you died on the cross for your sins and, and you are following him with your life. What is your mission? Now, real quick, let's, let's get on the same page as in what it, the church is. So the church is all of those who have ever believed in Jesus Christ for their salvation. The church is made up of people. So if you thought building, that's an incorrect idea of what the church is. The church is not a building. We meet in buildings, but the church is people that belong to Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross and our response with belief. That's the church. So we like to talk about the kingdom. The church is really the kingdom of God on earth right now, meaning everybody everywhere that belongs to Jesus. That's the kingdom. That's the church. But logistically, the church then meets into smaller churches. We, we call them castles. But it's about the kingdom. It's not about each little castle. But each church is kind of like a castle in the kingdom with the same purpose as the rest of the kingdom. And so that's the church. So when I say church, when we talk about the mission, I'm not talking common ground. I'm talking, we are part of it, but I'm talking the whole church, all of those that gather in different places. And I, I want to ask this question now. Is the mission of the church supposed to be like a shield? As in, we become Christians, we get together, and now we hide behind a shield. Or we use the shield to protect us from the evil in the world. Is that what the church is to be, a, a place to stay safe behind a shield? Or is the church, grab that, supposed to be more like a sword? 
supposed to be more offensive. As in, we have the shield, but then we're moving forward. We're cutting into society. We're cutting through the darkness. Is the church supposed to be like a sword? Now, if the church, I'm talking global church, if the church thinks about this at all, they typically would say we're more like a shield. That's what most churches would go, is that we're, we should be more like a shield rather than a sword. There was a, many years ago, I was, at a, I was speaking at a, a camp, a Christian camp, and two people had a, a debate, and I was just kind of listening into this debate, and they were debating the spiritual armor found in Ephesians. So if you're familiar with the spiritual armor, it, it's how we as Christians are supposed to battle against a very real spiritual enemy, but he talks about the belt of truth, uh, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of the gospel of peace, which are, are cleats, uh, and going through the whole list, they then started talking about the sword. And the one said, the sword is the only offensive weapon in the armor. And the other one said, oh no, and they got really intellectual. Oh no, in the Greek, that sword is something short. It's only used for defense. And so every piece of the spiritual armor is defensive. And what they were really debating was, was the foundational philosophical standing of the church, of what the church is supposed to be. One said it's supposed to be defensive. Because all of, this, all of the pieces of armor are defense, and we're told to stand against the enemy. So that's our job. Stand. This is represented in churches where you hear the phrase something like, well, the Holy Spirit will just bring who he wants through the doors. We don't have to go. Um, or I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't have to share my faith. Things like that. Of a, a shield, stand. Or the other one was saying, no, the, the, the word of God is offensive, as in, with the Bible, with the Word, we're supposed to change lives moving forward. And so these two were having this debate, and they never concluded it. But that's the question I want to ask and answer this morning. Give me that. <laughs> and in fact, I think you know where I'm going with this. I would argue that the Bible is very clear about this. The Bible is very clear that the church should be more like a sword. That the church is, by nature, offensive. Now, I mean offense, not defense, offensive, but in reality, it's going to be offensive also at times. Now, we can say it in a way that's not offensive, but the truth is offensive to those who don't want to hear it. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at three passages. We don't normally do that here. Normally, we go through one passage, we look at that, we see what it says, what it means, and how that applies to us. This morning, we're doing it different because I want to show you throughout the New Testament in three different spots where it's very clear that Jesus' mission and therefore our mission is one on the offense, not just on the defense. That we're supposed to be more like a sword than a shield. So if you're a note taker, that's the first one. The gospel is at its core offensive. You know, we know that uh, the Great Commission, we talk about the Great Commission a lot. Right before Jesus, after he died, before he ascended into heaven... He said, here's your mission, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. So he says, go make disciples. What's a disciple? Very simply, a disciple is a Jesus follower. Somebody who follows Jesus and tries to pattern their life after Jesus, because Jesus is living in and through them. That's a disciple. And the method that Jesus did was he multiplied himself into people. Specifically, he started with 12. He multiplied himself into 12. He died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. Then those 12 went and multiplied themselves. Many more were saved. They multiplied themselves. 
That's how the church worked. But what they were multiplying was Jesus' followers, people trying to be like Jesus, wanting to be like Jesus as he lived in and through them. So their mission became the same as his mission with his power. So we're going to look at Mark 3.27. It's going to be on the screen, actually. So go ahead and turn to Luke, because we're going to read the Mark one, then we're going to jump to Luke. It says the same thing, similar. Mark 3.27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Well, that's kind of confusing. What's the context? Jesus is being accused of casting out demons by the power of demons. So Jesus is, is teaching with authority. He's casting out demons. I mean, people, demon oppressed people were coming up and saying crazy things. And Jesus says, be silent, come out. And the demon would come out. And the religious leaders were jealous of, of Jesus's fame, of Jesus's influence. And so they were jealous. And they were saying, well, he can only cast out demons because he is one. Because he's the prince of demons and the power of the prince of demons, Satan himself, is working in Jesus to cast out demons. And so Jesus responds with this. Look at Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 17. But he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and, it, and a divided house falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And here he says the same thing as in Mark. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. In this illustration, Jesus says, there's a strong man and there's a stronger man. The strong man has a house or a palace and he has armed guards and he's guarding his stuff. He's got good stuff. The stronger man is going to come in, bind him and rob his house. The strong man in this illustration is Satan himself. Satan is the strong man. Satan has a house. Satan has a kingdom. We're going to see this movement. He has a kingdom on this earth. It's a dark kingdom. It's one where he has power. He has control. And he is guarding his house. And what is the plunder? It's people. It's souls. And so, so Satan has souls that are his. And he's trying to protect them and keep them in his camp. But Jesus says, he's talking trash here a little bit. He's getting a little bit aggressive. Jesus says, yeah, Satan's a strong man, but I'm a stronger man and I'm here and I'm going to whoop up on him and I'm going to take what was his and make him mine. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm not casting out demons by Satan. He said, if I'm casting them out by Satan, his, his kingdom is divided. But if I'm doing it by the power of God, then the kingdom of God is here. That's heavy. <laughs> Jesus says this to this crowd. If I'm not doing it like you say, I'm doing it by God. The kingdom is here. C.S. Lewis would address this argument of, of what Jesus was saying. He's claiming to be, C.S. Lewis said he's either a liar. So like here, he's either lying about who he is, but he was doing some powerful things. He's either a liar or he's crazy. He's a lunatic. He thinks he's something uh, that he's not. Or, and the Bible would show that, that he, he did the things that he claimed to do. In fact, read history 
outside the Bible, nobody contends that he didn't do those things. Jesus did these things well attested to. So he's probably not crazy. He's probably not a liar, which makes him Lord. And so Jesus is saying, I'm Lord. I'm God in flesh. The kingdom of God is here. That's a big deal. Does this sound passive, defensive, or offensive? Doesn't it? The gospel is at its core offensive. Jesus says, I'm here. I am going to plunder his house. You don't plunder somebody's house by staying outside going, if you feel like it, can you send some stuff out here? (laughs) You plunder the house. You bust down the door. You whoop this guy. You whoop that guy. You tie that one up. And then you take all their stuff. Jesus is offensive. He came and he whooped. He won the battle on the cross. The victory was his. Satan's the strong man. Jesus is plundering his house. I want you to turn over to Colossians chapter 1 now. Or it's going to be on screen. So if you don't feel like flipping, that's okay. But we're going to flip to Colossians. But I want to point out one thing real quick. I've been in church long enough to see that in church, we have this tendency to want to be peaceful, which is excellent. We're called to guard the unity of the body. Unity is key for the church. But sometimes we take that desire so far that we, we are unwilling to stand on truth. And so you see this within the church of, of where, oh, we want to find middle ground. Everything has to be peaceful. And so, so we'll sacrifice a little bit of this to come closer to this direction. We'll meet in the middle. Jesus never did that with the spiritual leaders. Jesus never backed down from the spiritual leaders. He went there and he said, here's the truth. I'm from God. There's one way to salvation. It's through me. And he, was, he didn't talk with the, the religious leaders going like, let's find some middle ground. Maybe you can be kind of right and I can be kind of right. He stood on truth. And so within the church, it's important because as time goes on, just look through the history of the church. What happens is you sacrifice a little bit of truth to meet in the middle. And that's why now we have this liberal Christianity that doesn't even believe the Bible that believes you can do whatever you want, and now there's no power there anymore. And by the way, the liberal churches, although culture would lift that up, going, how how great, you can believe whatever you want, those churches are shrinking more than the gospel-centered churches are because there's no power there. There's no life there. So Jesus had no problem standing on the truth. Now look at the Colossians 1, 13, and 14. This is Paul's way of describing the same thing. He says, for he, Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look at this. He's talking about two kingdoms. Two kingdoms. He says there's a kingdom of darkness or a domain of darkness, and there's the kingdom of His beloved Son. Two kingdoms. One controlled by Satan. This is the earthly kingdom. By the way, if you didn't know that, most of the earth is in that kingdom. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the way it's the end of death. There are few that will find the narrow path to Jesus Christ. That's not what God wants. That's just the way it is because people have a tendency to want to go their own way. So there's two kingdoms. One, Satan's got it. There's another one that's God's kingdom. And what does Jesus do? He goes into the dark kingdom and he rescues He grabs people and he rescues them, bringing them to his kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. Does that sound passive? This this rescue, the, the word rescue means to snatch, 
to grab and pull. That's what rescue means. So it, it's a kid walking down the street and here comes a semi and somebody goes and grabs the kid real quick. That's a rescue. A very real picture that came to mind as I was writing this is uh, Elise, our youngest, when she was one and a half, two, I'm not sure how old she was, but we were at a, a pool party and she was standing on the bottom step of the swimming pool and, you know, you know, in the water. Well, she slipped off that step till the water came to somewhere in here. And so she's there. She's underwater and struggling. And she can't swim. She's a little toddler. And, and we could have just stood there and said, hey, learn how to swim. But she didn't need to learn how to swim. She needed to be rescued. I don't know where her parents were. Um, but Bethany was there. And Bethany jumped in with all her clothes on and grabbed Elise and pulled her up. And she gasped for air. And she's alive and well. That's the picture here, a rescue. It's a, it's a rescue of somebody who cannot save themselves. So God looks at, and that's all of us. God looks at us and says, they're lost, they're alone, they're separated from me, they're dying, they're gonna go to hell forever, but I want to rescue them. So he rescued, he came, we, we see that mission, that he came and it cost him his life. I, I like the picture of a, of a ship that's sinking. You know, and it's off the shore. And so there's people on the shore watching this, this ship sinking, and these people are just going to drown. But yet this real strong swimmer jumps in and swims out and rescues one by one and pulls them to shore and pulls them to shore, finally goes out and gets the last one and drowns in the process. What is that person? He's a hero, absolutely. But he's a savior. That's what our God did. He became flesh, rescued, and it cost him his life. It cost him more than we even can imagine. You know, we celebrated the, his death and resurrection last weekend. We had Good Friday, which was awesome as we did the Stations of the Cross. But just thinking about what Jesus did on the cross, bearing the weight of the sins of the world, we can't even imagine what that cost. But he rescued. The, the other picture that I have is of uh, the old Rambo movies. If you remember, there was one where he saved the POWs and they're all skinny and, and, and locked up. And he goes in all by himself. I think he's got a machine gun in both hands and he's got that, you know, and he breaks and he, and he rescues. They could do nothing, but he, this strong man, Sylvester Stallone, goes and rescues and pulls him out. That's kind of the picture, except for Jesus doesn't use the weapons of earth. <laughs> Jesus came and gave his life, but he rescued did what we couldn't do, and then transfers. That's not all, though. A lot of times we, we finish in the church with that. Hey, we're saved. Now, that's it. No, we've been transferred to a new kingdom. We've been taken out of this kingdom. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been put into this kingdom, kingdom of his beloved son. As we've been studying Colossians, we see in that kingdom we're adopted. We become sons and daughters of the king. Do you realize that? We're not better than anybody else. Don't get that. But we become royalty, heirs of God. That's awesome. And we have all the benefits that come with being a, a prince or princess in this kingdom. All the benefits. So he rescued us, transferred us into, into his kingdom, in whom we have redemption. We've talked about that word before, but redemption means to purchase with a price. Uh, very specifically, in the first century, it meant buying somebody off the slave market. And so Jesus bought you and I. It's just another analogy. The, the Bible uses a lot to try and get us to get this picture. But we were on the slave market. We couldn't pay our own debt. And so Jesus comes and says, I'm going to buy that one and pays the price to buy our souls back to him. Redemption and forgiveness. Sometimes we skip over this too. And, and we Christians in the church, we just want to wallow in our guilt. Oh, I feel so guilty all the time. We're forgiven. That's the awesome thing about this new kingdom is we get to live free. We're not perfect yet. At least I'm not. We're not perfect yet, but we're free. 
We're free from condemnation. We're free from the power and enslavement to sin. It's an awesome place to be. So, do we just get to hang out in this new kingdom? Or does Jesus want to continue that mission? We're going to look at one more passage. But here's, here's your notes. I think I skipped over it. Jesus came on an offensive mission into enemy territory and rescued many, transferring them to his kingdom. Jesus' mission was and is clearly offensive. Clearly offensive. And we're going to ask the question next, is it still Jesus' mission or are we supposed to be part of it? Uh, these verses that we've been looking at, among others, really stirred in me many years ago a, a holy discontent. Um, and, and I think that's the right way to put it. A discontent uh, that here in Carson City, we have 93% people unchurched. 93% of people in this community do not know Jesus Christ, do not go to church. In Carson Valley, 90%. And so as I looked at these verses and I went, Jesus wants to come in. Jesus has done everything necessary to save people. And so I, I was sitting with a, a group of church leaders one day and I was just looking at this, trying to cast this vision, this picture. I believe God had put into my head through his word. What would it be like for a group of Jesus followers to be sold out to him? And I mean sold out, not just the lip service that, that a lot of us have done in our lives. I know I have. Not just the, I'm a good Christian. I go to church. I give a little bit. I serve sometimes. But what if a group sold out to the mission? And so I said, here's the picture. As you read scripture, it's a battle. It's a war. I mean, of, of Jesus' 12 disciples, how many lived to a ripe old age? One. And he was in exile. The rest were brutally murdered. Brutally murdered. Uh, crucified upside down. Cut in half. Killed with a sword. They were brutally murdered. So, so what I'm talking about is this mission, if we engage it, it's a blessing to us. It's the best life possible. But it's not easy. So, you know, I don't want to deceive you and go, hey, it's this hunky-dory life. It's awesome because we have this purpose and this mission, but it's not easy. It costs. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. It costs to follow. But so I, I was with this group of church leaders saying, this is what Jesus said it costs, but look at what Jesus wants to do. Let's go. You know, and I said, here's the picture. I see a group of people charging a hill, running up the hill for Jesus, saving souls, carrying out his mission. Some have a sword, some have a flag, some are just throwing rocks because that's all they can find. But they're so sold out to Jesus, they're going. And if, if we read biblically, it's going to cost, meaning some of us are going to be dying on the way. Some might lose an arm or lose a leg, but what would Jesus do if his people went for him? And the leader of that group looked at me and said, I don't want to do that. He, he didn't say the Bible doesn't teach that. He said, I don't want to do that. I want to be in the valley. And I went, that's why the American church is what it is. That's why North America and Europe, the church is shrinking. Because we have that as our church culture. I don't want to go. I want to be comfortable. It's about me. But it's not as we look at the mission. So now let, let's transition from Jesus' mission to the church. Look at Matthew 16, 18. But here's a note, if you want to write this down before we read that one. Jesus is continuing his mission, but now he works primarily through his people, not around them. This is really important for Christians to understand. It's still Jesus, and he's still carrying out his mission, but now he does it through his people, not around them. Matthew 16, 18. Right before this verse, Peter had confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. 
said, Jesus, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah, confessing who he was and what he came to do, that he was the only way to salvation. It was all about Jesus. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This verse is often used to, to debate, is Peter a pope or whatever? That's not really the point. <laughs> there is a play on Peter's name here, meaning rock, but he's not really talking about Peter being the rock. He's talking about the truth of what Peter just said being the rock that he's going to build his church. He was going to build his church on the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's the basis of the church. That's the foundation. Not a man, not Peter, not anybody else, not a church, but Jesus is the foundation. He says, on that, I'll build my church. Who's going to build his church? <coughs> Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. So it's still his work. That's encouraging to me. It means that we as the church don't have to be creative. We don't have to be strong. We don't have to be smart. It means we just have to be faithful. We just have to follow him. He says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. What is a gate used for? We have a picture here of the Damascus gate in Jerusalem. In that day and age, a city would be built, a wall would go around the city or a wall around the castle, and then gates would be put up. And when an enemy was coming to attack, what do they do with the gates? They close the gates. A gate is by nature defensive. So he's saying, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell, meaning the kingdom uh, that Satan is ruling on this earth, his kingdom, he has built it. He has these souls that he wants to keep away from God and he's put up these gates and he says, here's what the church is going to do. They're going to bust down the gates. The gates of hell will not prevail. Meaning when the church goes with Jesus's power, with Jesus's grace and mercy and goes, what's going to happen to those gates keeping lost people in? We're going to break them down. Does that sound passive or defensive? That's very offensive. Jesus says, go, I'm going to go through my church and we're going to bust down gates. We're going to bust down walls. We're going to save souls and bring them to my kingdom. That is amazing. Jesus is still doing that, but through his people. God's perfect plan is that between Jesus' first coming and second, he will work through his church to break into the darkness, rescue the lost, save souls, and give abundant life to many. Now, real quick, I want to take a time out and, and, and go back. So bear with me, because if we just jump to this first, that our mission is to go, then we can get all about evangelism and going, but we can miss something. When Jesus went up on a mountain to call his first 12 disciples, he prayed all night, and then he brought his disciples and he chose 12. This is in the book of Mark. And he chose them and he said, first, to be with him. Then he sent them out to cast out demons, to preach, those things. But the first calling of a disciple is to be with Jesus. So as we look at our mission, it's exciting, but we can't skip over the relationship part. We're first called to be with Jesus in an abiding relationship, in a love relationship, in a dependent, submitted relationship with Jesus. Honestly, that's harder than the mission part. To, to me, and maybe it's because I'm a man, but to, to mean I need to pursue Jesus, well, that's not very productive. I'd rather go get some, I'd rather go break down a gate. But when you do, abide, when you do pursue Jesus, there's nothing better than even sitting in his word or even sitting in silence and experiencing Jesus, closeness with him. There's nothing better. And then after that, 
With that happening, then we can go on mission. The Great Commission is, in Matthew, is bookended by the command that Jesus, or the, the promise that Jesus is going to be with them. Jesus says, it's my power and I will be with you. I, uh, I taught this sermon at a church in Colorado about a month ago. You know, it's a church that's been around a long time. It's a fairly large church, uh, but they really wanted to be about the kingdom, about going. And I, I got to meet with the elders of that church uh, and their pastors, and they were thinking, how can we, how can we start to, to really go? They wanted to be part of church planting and those things. And it was exciting just to think about. But some of the stories that I got to share with them, that made it come alive for them. Because the, the question they had was, where do we start? As, as we sat there, they said, we want to be about kingdom work. This is great. Where do we start? I said, well, do you want to know where you start? I said, it starts in this room with you leaders actually living your life on mission for Jesus. That's, it doesn't start with the program that you go do at church. It starts with you doing it where you live, where you work, and where you play. So, I mean, as we look at this mission, does that mean that some of us need to become missionaries and pastors? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe you're called to go on mission. But for most of us, it means we're on mission right where we're at. That's what it means. Where do you live? You're surrounded by lost people. Where do you work? You're probably surrounded by lost people unless you work in a church. Then you're still surrounded by some lost people. <laughs> where do you play? You know, we have a lot of people in here that do sports. Some of you coach. It's awesome. Maybe you like music. Where do you play? You're surrounded by lost people. Or you could be if you just use that in that way. So as I was preparing this and thinking out there in Colorado to teach, you know, I, I, the, a good example came to mind of, of the Ingram family who they moved into a house about a year ago-ish um, and they moved in somewhere over here and, and their back fence, a wood fence, on the other side, there was a little boy about Luke's age. And this little boy stacked up whatever he could find. I'm not sure what it was. He stacked up wood so he could climb and look over the fence. So if ever he heard something going on, he would climb, look, and then jump over the fence. And so I don't know how many times he had to be brought home or, or called mom and dad, hey, he's over here again. But, but just because of this neighbor relationship, they got to build a relationship. And I, Paul, I remember telling me once that, that Blaine was at their house, and, and it's like I was trying to find mom and dad. And finally I drove there, and Brian was in his car in the driveway. I'm not sure what he was doing on the phone or just waiting for Blaine to come home. But through all of this, anyway... They built a relationship. They built a real genuine friendship, and they got to hear about Jesus Christ. And Brian gave his life to Jesus. He's back there on the computer right now. If you want to turn and look at him, make him feel bad. Um, <laughs> but, but Brian gave his life to Jesus. He was baptized. Now he's serving. Each of his kids have asked for a Bible at one point or another, but he's experienced a life. And a, a couple months ago, it was before a service, and we were in the back there, and Brian kind of tearfully said, is, is this normal? I said, is, is what normal? He said, he said this, he said, I, I experience God. He's like, I actually feel God. He, he loves me. I'm accepted by him. He, he was just overwhelmed by the presence of God. And he just said, is this normal? I said, that's normal. <laughs> I said, that's the Holy Spirit entering you, changing you, uh, comforting you. The hope of eternity is, is in you. It's things like that. That's the mission. And, and was that some awesome event that, that saw them saved? No, it was just a neighbor being a neighbor. It was just a boy that climbed a fence that's the mission, you know, and I see others of you in here and I know other stories that I could tell of the way you guys have done it and lived it. 
That's the mission of the church that we get to be part of, that God is continuing to build his church, Jesus is, through his people, not around them. Last night, I saw the example of this again at the uh, dodgeball. Did I get it right that time? At the dodgeball (laughs) tournament. The cool thing was a lot of people in here were on teams, but our teams were mixed. We didn't have just a church team. What we had was each of you, many of us, found people at work, found people from other, and built these teams. And so as I looked at them, I'm like, oh, there's some of our people, and there's some of our people playing with all these other people. I don't even know. I'm like, that is it. That is the church doing what it's supposed to do, going into the, the society, going into culture like a sword, cutting through and bringing life. At the end of the night last night, the, uh, the person running the place came up to Callie, I think, and said, hey, if your church ever wants to do anything here again, you're welcome to it. Uh, the, the writer from the Record Courier was there. He said, I had no idea what I was coming to. He said, there's over 600 people here. And, and he was writing an article on it. He said, I had no idea what was happening. And afterward, people were talking about you. <laughs> we're talking about the people involved in making this happen. And as it went, it was amazing. That's the kingdom at work. Were people saved last night? Not that I know of. But, but were relationships formed that can continue to where somebody could hear the gospel and be saved? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the question that I ask as we wrap this up is, are you willing to be part of his mission? We're starting, it's a three-week series, and we're going to talk more over the next two weeks. And we talk about his mission a lot. But Jesus says he's going to build his church. So it's not a question of, is his work going to get done? It's going to get done. The question is, will we get to be part of it? Or will we miss out? Because if we miss out, in the end, we may be saved and stand before Jesus. And he may go, man, you really missed out on the blessings that could have been. Or we get to engage in that now. And guess what? It will cost. It will cost financially. It will cost time. It may cost relation. It will cost. But is it worth it? Is it worth it? It is worth it. And I would say if you need an application right now, you know, we as a church really feel led by God to extend our missional footprint in the community. What that means is if we have one church, one location that just gets bigger and bigger, how many people can come to that one church, one location? Some, but it's limited. That's why our mission is to, now it's two services. There's two times you can reach more people. We're going to plant one in Minden in the fall. We can reach more people. We can partner with other churches already in communities to help them do better. We can reach more people. To do that, you know what you need? You need people charging the hill for Christ. You need people willing to sacrifice and go. And so here's, here's the easiest application. On that clipboard in front of you, if you're not serving yet, get on a team. Get on a team. We need people in there with the kids. We need people doing greeting. We need people making coffee. You know how important coffee is on a Sunday morning, especially at a 9 o'clock service? We need people doing all these things because guess what? The teams are going to get too big, and right then we got another place for people to go. And especially even as the, as the music team grows, there's a vision and a dream to be sending musicians to other churches to help them on Sunday mornings where they might lack. That's the vision. But guess what? It takes us. This movement we want to see will not happen through a pastor. It won't. It will happen through normal people like you and me being obedient and following. Let me pray and let's worship. Lord Jesus Christ. I've said it often, but I'm so grateful that you said you'll build your church. I'm so grateful that that's not our job. Um, I'm so grateful it's not my job to convince somebody 
that you are who you say you are. It's not my job to convince somebody to give their life to you. I don't get credit for that. I thank you that you do that work, Holy Spirit. I thank you for the way that you do work through your people. Um, I experienced you so much. Last night I experienced you as I saw your love in and through your people. God, we desperately want to see you move. And it's not for our glory. We desperately want to see you move because we live in a dark place. We live in a place that needs you. There are so many lost all around us. Some have heard of you. Some have no idea what the gospel is. Please, Holy Spirit, move in and through us to change this community. Please move in and through the other gospel-centered churches in this town. Those who are truly your church, move in and through them. Let those churches grow as people are converted and come to you and then find life in you. We want to see a movement and we're willing to follow. Call us on it. We will step. We, we will follow you, not perfectly. And we thank you that you have patience with us, but we love you. You are so worth it, Jesus. In your name, amen. amen.